Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, for those of you who are listening to our Tuesday show, uh, the first thing I want to do is thank Tamar Hallerman for filling in for me pretty much at the last minute. Um, some of you who follow us on Twitter know that I was scheduled to get my COVID-19 vaccine at 5.30 this morning. I finally got it at 9 a.m. after almost five hours in a parking lot waiting for it. But I did get it. I'm very fortunate. I was lucky that I was able to get one. And Tamar filled in at the very last minute. I'm very grateful uh, for that. Um, today, as we are taping this show, the U.S. House is getting set to debate and vote on the second impeachment of Donald Trump. The Democratic foundations of the country have been shaken by Donald Trump over the past four years. He's whittled away at our faith in the courts, the media, the very fundamentals of how we choose our leaders. And so as we come to the end of the Trump era very important question is just how fragile is the American experiment in democracy? Um, I'm really thrilled to be joined uh, by two of the country's great elected leaders, um, former U.S. Senator Gary Hart, former Congressman Dick Kephart. They are two of the founders of Keep Our Republic, which is a bipartisan organization formed to protect the integrity of elections, but deeply rooted in a commitment to protecting the fundamental values that the country is uh, built on. And uh, as I introduce you, let me just give a little more on each of you. Senator Hart, you were in the United States Senate from 1975 to 1987 before running for president in the 88 election cycle. Um, after that race, you went on in a variety of public service roles. You also uh, became an author, continued as an author, as an essayist. And as I think it's really fair to say, Senator, if you don't mind the term, um, an intellectual looking at the issues that confront the country. Uh, that, that's really fair, though, isn't it, Senator? No, I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I've been well, accused of a lot of things. What? but not being intellectual. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you always struck me as one. Um, we're, Dick Gephardt served for 28 years in the United States House, representing uh, the St. Louis Congressional District, which is where he was born, St. Louis. And uh, Dick Gephardt, you were the House Democratic leader, the majority leader from 1989 to 1985, and then we're minority leader from 95 to 2003, which means... Uh, Congressman Gephardt, you were there for the transition for the Gingrich Revolution in 1994, which obviously uh, is a, a moment in history of particular note for people in Georgia. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. All right. So let's talk about um, exactly uh, what you are doing with uh, your organization, Keep Our Republic. Um it, your mission statement says that you're, you, you are aiming to discover, highlight, and help to prevent an array of extraordinary risks to the integrity of the 2020 election and transition. And you say the civic creed is let all citizens vote, let all votes be counted, let the votes, let the count stand. Okay, Dick Gephardt, um, let's put that in the context of what's happening right now in the U.S. House where we're going to see a vote in the next 24 hours on whether to impeach the president again. This, too, is of relevance to Georgians, particularly because that one article of impeachment includes a reference to the fact that President Trump tried to get the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, here to overturn the outcome of the election to just find him enough votes so that he could win Georgia. So given your mission, given where we stand right now, I, I think really the first question that I'd like to ask both of you is whether you believe that the Democratic leadership, that Speaker Pelosi and, and the Democrats who are eager to have this impeachment take place, 
whether that's the best thing for our country right now, whether it's not. There's a debate about that among many people of goodwill, uh, Congressman Gephardt. Yes, there is, and I understand it completely, but I think it is a necessary step, and unfortunately a necessary step. Some things that happen in our country with presidents is so egregious, so clear of overstepping uh, and, and, and neglecting the duties of their office that it has to be commented on. It has to be noted for the future. Uh, otherwise, there's never any accountability. Presidents can do anything they want. They can be total dictators. And uh, we just drift into an authoritarian model. And there's a lot of sentiment, not only among Democrats, but uh, I think today a lot of Republicans who believe that just can't, can't happen. We can't allow that to happen. This was unacceptable behavior on the part of President Trump attacking the very foundation of our democracy. And if you just say, well, we don't want to get into a fight about that, then you won't get in a fight about anything. And then you, you in effect, bless that behavior for the future. And that's the real worry here. Senator Hart, uh, there are some Republicans, at least, who appear to be ready to sign on to this impeachment effort. Uh, And I think there's been some added urgency now that we are seeing this horrifying video of the, the, the insurgents beating up. We now know three uh, policemen who were guarding an entrance to the Capitol. Um, it's hard to look at what's happened there on those videos and not want to take some action in terms of President Trump. Yes? I agree with Dick completely. Uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party, the leadership of Congress has no choice but to take action. This cannot go unremarked and unpunished. The sad thing is that there is great tension between the interests of getting a new administration underway with a a very ambitious agenda as quickly as possible and a new Congress. But at the same time, we cannot let this assault on our nation's government by by the president of the United States, go without some congressional action. So I think Speaker Pelosi, Chuck Schumer have no choice but to go forward. It is unfortunate, but uh, the facts are what they are. And I think it would be very difficult for any fair-minded person in America not to connect some of the rhetoric that the president used at his rally with the assault on our nation's capital, where uh, Congressman Gebhardt and I served uh, for many years together. Um, Senator, um, Keep Our Republic has been focused uh, uh, pretty specifically on assuring an honest election, as I read in the mission statement, one in which every vote is counted. But clearly, uh, many of you who are part of this organization have larger concerns about what's happened to the country over the last four years. How much damage at this point do you believe that um, Trump has done to the republic, and and what do we do to correct it? Well, I think, first of all, it would be a mistake to think that the current conflict, and there is no other word for it, that we are confronting all began with Donald Trump. It began years before. The, the, the very harsh partisanship that uh, he inherited and expanded, um, various historians and commentators have, have, have designated their own date of origin. But I noticed in the Senate, a distinct change of mentality, not on the part of the Democratic Party, if I may say so, but on the part of the Republican Party. Uh, Dick Gebhardt would have seen that in the House with uh, Congressman Gingrich. And what has been called, to my confusion, movement conservatism. So 
uh, I think somewhere in that label is a description of what began to happen in 1980, and the seeds of that predated 1980, and what we see today. Partisan media is new. Uh, abandonment of the fairness doctrine that used to be the guidepost of Walter Cronkite and many others uh, was abandoned in 87. And um, the rhetoric became much, much harsher. And any attempt at bipartisanship was denounced by hardliners, at least of the right. Uh, I, I don't remember it being denounced by people on the left, but maybe it was. But um, we are where we are now. And Donald Trump inherited that, having no knowledge of the Constitution, none whatsoever. Uh, I would wager he's never read it through because he doesn't act as if he has. But he just took a bad situation and compounded it by multiples. Congressman Gephardt, there are those who could, would say, speaking of uh, what Senator Hart had to say about uh, uh, Trump not being the beginning of this, that you could draw a line starting with Barry Goldwater's run for president uh, back in the 60s, uh, all the way through uh, Ronald Reagan and the and the and the Reagan uh, uh, Revolution, which in in which many people look at that and say, well, he inspired the country with uh, beautiful language, but but certainly there are those who were Reagan critics who felt that he exacerbated the partisan divide. And then you, Congressman Gephardt, as I said, saw it up close and personal in 1994 when Newt Gingrich, um, after years of partisan rhetoric, uh, toxic partisanship, was able to take rest control of the U.S. House away from you and uh, the Democrats. So I would guess you agree with Senator Hart that Trump is in a long line of history of this sort of toxicity happening. Yes, I do agree with Gary completely, but let, let's take a minute to step back from all this and look at it in a larger context. Um, I've always said and believe that democracy is a substitute for violence. Uh, human nature uh, is sometimes not to collaborate, not to uh, respect other people and try to work together for solutions. Um, I think we evolved from animals, and so the, the animals don't have democracy. They have violence to create their hierarchical structure of their groups. Uh, humans have a bigger brain and the ability to communicate, which is critical to our ability to do whatever we've done in human evolution. And it it. It is always the fact, I believe, that democracy is constantly falling apart because the default position for many humans is the authoritarian position. Democracy is very difficult. And so throughout our history of this 240-year-old democracy, we've seen a number of times when the process of democracy has fallen apart. We had a civil war 150 years ago. You can never forget that. So I believe what's happening has been, has been heightened and exacerbated by two things, that one of which Gary talked about, which is the information revolution. And by that, I don't just mean social media, I also mean the what I call the politicizing of some of our legacy media outlets like Fox, like Newsmax, etc. And so that has created information bubbles probably on both sides of the spectrum where you have millions of Americans that only hear and accept information that they already fervently believe in and they will not accept other information. In addition to that, they are now constantly told that the other side is evil and to be hated and to be eradicated. So we have arrived at a point in our democracy, in my view, where the information revolution 
And remember that four years ago, we elected a president who used Twitter as one of his main elements of getting his message across. And his message was often of grievance and dislike and hatred for the other side in this debate. And so when you put all of that together, we arrive at where we are now, which is the country is literally breaking apart, one half on the right side, one half on the left side, and with almost half of Americans hating the other half and vice versa. So I would say it's very hard to have a functioning democracy if you have this kind of bitter division that is carried on day in and day out. The solutions to it are difficult and will take a lot of effort, and that's some of the things that Keep Our Republic is trying to work on. And I want to talk about those in a few minutes because, frankly, you paint a pretty bleak picture of where we stand right now. Um, But before we do that, um, let me back up just a moment uh, because you each, at a different, at an earlier time in this year, uh, said things or wrote things that really kind of pointed us in the direction of what happened last Wednesday at the U.S. Capitol, and which may very well have been an outcome of the way in which President Trump used his social media platform to whip up his supporters uh, uh, to attack the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Dick Gephardt, on on C-SPAN, on November 12th, so at that point the election was called for Joe Biden, Uh, Trump had already begun uh, his campaign to have the outcome overturned, declaring it a fraud. But, But you say this. You said, I first became concerned last spring when the pandemic made clear there'd be a lot of absentee ballots. And you say you were worried about the long count, meaning that it was going to take a long time to process all of those uh, mail-in ballots. And you say what you you said at C-SPAN, what you've said to us now, polarization means both sides think the other is cheating. This is an ingredient for a very tough time for our democracy. But then, you here's the money line. If there are demonstrations after the election, we have to reject violence. You were already concerned about that uh, on November 12th, uh, uh, Mr. Gephardt. Yes, and that's, that's why we started Keep Our Republic, because we were all so concerned that this could be a valid election, that, that it could be successfully done. And I must say parenthetically here that we are all really uh, in admiration for all the local and state election officials around the country and in Georgia, incidentally, who stood their ground, who insisted on an accurate count, who insisted on having a complete, accurate, valid process for counting the votes in a very difficult time. So there's a lot to be thankful for. But then on the back of that accomplishment, you had the president of the United States on a hourly basis saying the election was invalid. It was rigged that the people who were running the election were acting acting in fraud. And so his followers, you know, whatever number a million of people, believe what he says because he's telling them what they probably already suspected, as I said in that uh, interview. So we're in a very tough time. And and then, you know, on January the 6th, he encouraged people to go down to the Capitol and fight and, frankly, use violence. I know that Nancy has in her caucus a lot of veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. And after this horrific attack that went on in the Congress, in the Capitol, they insisted to her that they didn't put their lives on the line in Iraq and Afghanistan to come back to a country where the president of the United States is the one advocating and encouraging a violent takeover of the Capitol. So that's, that's where we are. 
And again, it's going to take a lot of different hard-to-do actions, electoral reform, political reform, information reform, all has to be painstakingly and patiently done over the next years to bring this country back to what it ought to be. Well, Senator Hart, uh, in keeping with that, uh, you, in July of this pa- of last year, uh, were uh, one of the authors of an op-ed piece that the Boston Globe uh, ran, and, and you, in July, said the outlook for a free and fair national election in November is cloudy, not least because President Trump himself has predicted mass-scale uh, voter fraud. Uh, and uh, you go on in that piece uh, t- to um, say that uh, you're terribly concerned. It's not hard to imagine another round of large-scale social unrest, such as the weeks-long protests over the killing of George Floyd, It would take only a spark, whether spontaneous or deliberate, to ignite a social conflagration uh, in key cities. Now, you were thinking about before the election. In fact, it happened last week, Senator. Yes, that's right. Um, First of all, let me explain where the phrase keep our republic comes from. Uh, Many of your listeners will know that is a paraphrase of Benjamin Franklin, uh, and a statement attributed to him during the Constitutional Congress in Philadelphia when asked by a person outside what, what were the founders creating, and his answer was, a republic if you can keep it. And so keep our republic comes from that statement. And what Franklin knew and the other founders knew was that keeping a republic, particularly one based upon democratic ideals and principles of justice and fairness, requires work. It requires citizen participation and, uh, by the way, widespread voter involvement. And the history of America, as Dick Gebhardt can say, is really a history of, of expanding voting rights. Because the more people can participate in the selection of their leadership and the work of that leadership, uh, the more they are invested in preserving democracy and the American republic. So um, what we are trying to do, we have had the advantage, particularly because of um, Congressman Gebhardt's background, a bit mine and a few others, uh, we have had access to some very serious uh, security thinkers and knowledgeable people from Homeland Security, Department of Justice, and a variety of other federal agencies, warning just by listening to the conversation among right-wing militia and others, warning us that there were plans to carry out destructive activities. Now, uh, people on the right say, yes, but how about Black Lives Matter? Well, there is a great deal of difference, needless to say, between peaceful demonstrations protected by the Constitution of people walking down the street and what happened to the nation's capital. Those aren't equivalent situations. They're vastly different. Should so-called left-wing groups bash in store windows? Of course not. We should all be opposed to that. But that was over the months, uh, kind of a drop in the bucket. Shouldn't have happened. But compared to what happened on the 6th, uh, very non-equivalent. So we're we're just responding to information that we develop through experts, people who help us understand what's going on. And some of the conversation on the right, it frankly, is scary stuff. Let's do this. Uh, let's take a quick break. 
and come back and let's talk about the plans that you have, uh, both of you, in terms of how Keep Our Republic is going to move forward now that we do have an outcome to the election and how you hope to be able to bring us back to a point where there is some, some comity, and I say C-O-M-I-T-Y, in our politics, both in Washington and in the country at large today. We'll do that in a moment. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Uh, We're back with Senator Gary Hart and uh, former Congressman uh, Dick Gephardt. Uh, by the way, I, I, I want to talk about this in, in a few minutes just briefly. Um, I was very fortunate that uh, uh, back when you both ran for president, you were both in that 1988 cycle, I got to spend a lot of time with each of you on the campaign trail, and um, it was really, uh, it, it was, I enjoyed covering your campaigns very much, and it, it feels terrific to me to get a chance to talk to you all these years uh, later. So thanks to both of you for being with us. Um, All right, uh, Dick Gephardt, when I look at the Keep Our Republic website, an awful lot of it, of course, is pointed toward how you uh, hoped to see the 2020 election play out fairly, assuring that all the votes were counted, assuring that people understood how to register to vote, how to get uh, uh, an absentee ballot, Uh, in, how to make sure that vote counted. So the election is over. What are the next steps for Keep Our Republic? Well, I think uh, a number of things that that I mentioned a minute ago and getting into the specifics of how to help those reforms come forward and be enacted. Uh, For starters, um, we need to reform and improve the electoral process in the country. Uh, There are a lot of things that that were shown in this election to be creating difficulty. One of them was when you have a large volume of absentee ballots, uh, do you have an adequate way to count those ballots in a timely manner? Can you start counting those ballots before Election Day so that you can get pretty speedy final results out of a county or a state or a group of states? Another thing that needs to be addressed that we've talked a lot about in our meetings is the Electoral Count Act, a little-known piece of legislation that was passed, I think, in 1876 or somewhere in that area when they had another highly contested presidential election. As, I, as we understand it, those, that act is poorly written clearly hard to interpret and can create lots of difficulties and problems, which we avoided this time, but may may not avoid at a future time. So that act needs to be rewritten. And we have in our group some very, very bright lawyers who have really spent a lot of time looking at this and trying to figure out a better approach and So we'll be trying to help anyone in Congress or anyone in any future government that wants to deal with this. Finally, uh, on the electoral reform front, and there's a lot more to it than just these, uh, Gary was a major force in figuring out that there are these executive powers, little known, little understood Mm -hmm. executive powers that exist for any president that with a president like uh, President Trump, you could fear would be used improperly to overturn the results of the election. And so trying to get back into that quagmire and figure out what should be left, what should be taken out, how that process should be improved is another clear goal of this group. There are other things Uh, in political political reform, information reform, but I'll just leave it at that. That's been our main focus is electoral reform. 
I, I apologize for uh, interrupting you at the end there. Uh, Senator, uh, you, you wrote in that Boston Globe piece that I cited a couple minutes ago about your concerns of an imperial presidency and secret emergency powers. Congressman Gephardt points out that that could include a president who tries to overturn the results of an election, which President Trump did. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out that despite the fact that those executive powers exist and will continue to, to for the time being, it was the courts that became the safeguard against President Trump's efforts to uh, overturn this election. At least that process worked the way it's supposed to, Yes. Uh, yes, it did, but um, we're not out of the woods yet. There are predictions of more violence to come, and uh, there are theories that the stirring up of violence on the 6th from the White House was in preparation to invoke those secret presidential powers that began during the Cold War and the Eisenhower years, under the umbrella of continuity of government. What would happen, they were thinking in the 50s and 60s, if we were attacked by the Soviets with nuclear weapons, how how would our government react and protect what's left of America? So that was the beginning of it. But now we're in a much, much different situation. And it is to be hoped that we can encourage the new Biden administration and the new attorney general, among others, to closely examine these secret powers and determine why they are secret. Um, It is pretty well known that the Russians, among others, have a pretty good idea of what those secret powers are. So they are probably more knowledgeable than the average American is about what a president can and cannot do if he declares a national emergency. That's the trigger. And uh, that's the concern we have, and we're hopeful of getting the new Congress and the new administration to look very, very closely at these powers. Let me add one thing to what Dick has said about political reform. One of the great divides in America, and it's been for since the beginning, has been about who votes. And, of course, we all know that for a very, very long time, it was white males, and even in some circumstances, property-owning white males. So the history of the civil rights movement, including in Georgia, has been to get the vote for African Americans. Also, half the people of this country couldn't vote till 1917, and those are, of course, female Americans. So the struggle for democracy in America uh, wasn't just in 1776 or even during the Civil War. It's been going on for 230 more years, and that is to open up voting to all qualified voters. And there have been efforts over the, the centuries to prevent black Americans from voting or brown Americans or any immigrants, for that matter, and women, and, um, in effect, people who were who are not in the intelligentsia or the elite. So part of this preserving democracy, which Congressman Gebhardt is so keen on, as we all are, is protecting the right to vote and pushing back against voter suppression, which, as been a keynote of opening up the ballot in Georgia and elsewhere. Well, uh, this is of particular importance uh, right now here in Georgia because our legislature has just gone into session this week. Um, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, who gained so much praise across the country for standing up to President Trump and saying, no, we've counted the votes three times. Our election was accurate and fair. You lost, Mr. President, uh, has now come forward with a measure in which he wants to eliminate a key to uh, this past pandemic election, which is what uh, we call here uh, no excuse mail-in voting. Uh, The Secretary of State who claimed there was no fraud uh, in November of 2020, now says we need to end no-excuse voting 
essentially so we don't have fraud moving uh, forward. So Dick Gephardt, you know, when when uh, Senator Hart says we're not through all of this, we haven't come out on the other side. This is an example, I think, of just that. No, that's right. This is a this is a long, long term, ongoing struggle to to make sure that everyone in this country who's a citizen can vote, can exercise their right to vote. It's fundamental to a democracy and certainly to our democracy. And this fight will be carried on out in states like Georgia in the years ahead. And uh, people need to be involved in it. If they care about it, they need to, you know, get in touch with their state legislators. They need to make sure the right decision is made. There's no excuse for trying to suppress the vote or to keep people uh, from voting that you don't want to vote, which is always the reason it's been done. So it's a very Uh, simple proposition, and we've got to pay attention to it. Uh, so given what you just said, this is as good a time as any for uh, you, uh, uh, Mr. Gephardt, to tell people what, in what ways would you like them to become involved in Keep Our Republic? Well, we have a website. Uh, we're happy to have people communicate with us. Uh, we're happy to have anyone who wants to help with the effort. Uh, as Gary said a minute ago, uh, democracy can only exist if the people assume their role and their responsibility uh, to keep a, a democracy moving forward. It is a government of, by, and for the people, and it is self-government. And if the people are cynical and turned off and don't want to participate or don't think it's important enough to participate, we'll lose it. It's that simple. Because the natural inclination, like in the animal world, in the human world, is to not have a democracy. It's to have an authoritarian model. It's easier. It's simpler. It's much Neater decisions can be made on a timely basis. You don't have to listen to people you disagree with and work with people you disagree with. You just have one person. I've always said, you know, our ancestors put 535 people in the room. That's Congress. Not one. That means that every decision, big decision, where there's conflict, which there is on every big decision, is really hard. There were days when I was Democratic leader in the House that I thought we couldn't get anything done ever again. I thought we were just frozen, stuck. And that's kind of where we are today. So it takes everybody pulling the wheel to make democracy go forward and to work in everybody's interest. Um, Let's talk about that for just a couple of minutes, if we can. Uh, Both of you served in Congress at a time when there really was such a thing as bipartisan comedy. Now, I mean, obviously there were fierce battles, and and, uh, Congressman Gephardt, when you were majority leader, well, both as majority leader and then as minority leader, you were fierce in protecting the Democratic prerogatives and known for that. But the fact of the matter was both of you served in bodies that were capable of uh, coming to bipartisan understandings on major issues. Um, Senator and then Congressman uh, Gephardt, talk about that. Talk about what it was like to be in the Senate when you could reach across the aisle and find ways to work with the other side. Well, I didn't get to serve as long as Dick Gephardt did. Um, and didn't uh, especially try to. I voluntarily uh, retired after two terms. But those two terms were were unbelievably different. In the first term in the 70s, there were moderate Republicans, Jack Javits in New York, Clifford Case in New Jersey, Mac Mathias in Maryland, Chuck Percy in Illinois, and the list went on. Uh, Almost all successful legislation, and there was a lot of it during that period, had a 
Democrat and a Republican principal sponsor, almost all, not not just Democrats or not just Republicans. It was a a rule of the Senate that you had to be, it had to be bipartisan, or it wasn't going to work. Starting in 1980, first of all, a lot of those names that I mentioned were primaried in their own party by people more conservative than they. They were being challenged because they did cooperate with Democrats. And people in their states, Republicans in their states, didn't want them to do that. That's when the the Great Divide really started, 1980, 81, and beyond. And... Um, the short answer to your question is we, we have to elect people in both parties who are willing and able to work with those of goodwill in the other party to get half a loaf, even if they don't get the whole loaf. It's called compromise. It's the only way this system works. So I would hope that some of the reforms that happen – are both are internal to both parties. And let me just say one more partisan remark. Uh, it is fashionable in Fox News and elsewhere to say the Democratic Party has gone far left. That is patent nonsense. Joe Biden, I served with Joe Biden for 12 years. He's the last person in America to be far left. In fact, he's being criticized by a few people in the party on the margin for not being more, if you will, liberal or progressive or whatever the term is. But he is not, he has a cabinet that is about as sound and qualified and capable of any cabinet in my lifetime. And they're all serious, thoughtful, moderate people. Uh, Congressman Gephardt, uh, Cokie Roberts... Um on several occasions on our show, made an interesting observation. When her parents went to, to, to Washington, when her dad first went up, the whole family went with them. And, and Koki liked to tell the story of the fact that she believed that comedy had something to do with the fact that uh, people socialized together, Democrats, Republicans, their kids went to school together. And although it's an oversimplification to suggest that she was saying that uh, when we got to the point when people decided to live in their districts uh, um, uh, uh, and not move to Washington but sleep on their sofa in their office, she would say that uh, we lost some of the ability for the two sides to see each other as human beings. Does that make sense to you? It does. And uh, that certainly was a part of the reason that we were able to work together better in those times. But but I want to back up to something I said before and that Gary has touched on. And that is that we're in a different America today than we were back in the 70s, 80s, even the 90s. And that the difference to me has been caused by the information revolution, if that's what you want to call it. And by that, I mean both the politicization of outlets like Fox News, et cetera, Breitbart, along with a social media industry that uses algorithms to push people into their information bubble they're comfortable in and that's all the information they get is been a major part of creating a bitterly divided country. And I would say if the people of the country are bitterly divided and hateful of one another, then the Congress, which is a reflection of the American people is going to be equally divided and hateful. It, it, it goes back to what Gary also said. In his day, people like Senator Case, Senator Mathias, were primaried from their right. That's what's happening today to these members that we're criticizing in the Republican Party because they're not standing up for the rule of law or they're not standing up to Trump. They're worried that they will be taken out 
by the large number of people in their district or their state that only listens to Fox News or to some information bubble on Facebook or Twitter where they hear this hateful, divisive information. So if we don't deal with the information problem, if you don't have healthy information in a society, if you have no shared facts, if you have no shared reality, you can't have a democracy. It's that simple. And these solutions are really hard, but we got to get on it. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, I got to get to a very quick break because we only have a few minutes left in the show. So let's take the break and come back and finish up our conversation with Dick Gephardt and Gary Hart. Gary Hart and Dick Gephardt, my um, guests on the show today. Um, because we only have a couple minutes left, I do want to ask you each a question about running for president. Um, Gary Hart, how much different is it as you look at presidential campaigns today, how much different is it to run for president in the context of 2020, 2016, 2020, maybe 2024, than it was back in 1987 and 1988? Well, in my case, 84 was my first try. Ah, and, yes, exactly. Uh, I ran a, a, what I would think was a respectable um, alternative to Vice President Mondale, a friend. You almost took the nomination away from him. Well, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Starting in New Hampshire, yes. Uh, that's a long story we won't go into. But in any case, the big difference is what Dick has just said over and over, and that is the media, and particularly the alternative media, both uh, partisan media and social media. The second thing is money. Um I, I don't remember exactly what my 84 campaign costs. Dick may, be, may have a better recollection of his campaign, but it was of a, a minor number compared to what is being spent these days, even in, Senate, in statewide races, as in Georgia recently and other, other places. My first race for the Senate as a novice, never having run for office, in Colorado in 1974, the entire uh, race, a Democratic campaign for uh, the nomination and against a two-term wealthy incumbent, cost $375,000. It's unheard of now. You can't Amazing. For- Astonishing. <laughs> yes. So those are the two big difference differences. And then what we've been talking about, the bitter partisanship that goes on. And the anger. Congressman Gephardt, we've got about two and a half minutes left, but I'd love to get your take on this question. Sure, I agree with what Gary said. I mean, I spent uh, $70,000 total in my first congressional race in my race for president in 88, even though I won a few primaries. Uh, my total budget was $12 million bucks. Uh, when I ran in 204, it didn't get much better, unfortunately. It was 16 million bucks. That Candidates today raise that in a day in running for president. So it's a total difference. I mean, let me just wind up with this. We need campaign finance reform. And, yes. it, and if we don't get it, uh, that's another real strike against our democracy. A lot of the people who supported Trump and other candidates are so angry that they think special interests run the country. And there's a lot of evidence to that effect. I sympathize with them. Now, with what, the Supreme, Court, with what the Supreme Court said, it's very hard to make those changes in law because of the Constitution and the way they interpret it. But we can, here's the big reform that's happened. You can now raise money on the Internet that we could never have raised when we were running. And so if we could put in place an, a voluntary, optional, partly financed campaign financed by the public system, we can at least give candidates who want to do that system the right to do it and then argue to their voters they are only taking small contributions in public money. 
Congressman, I want to jump in with a very quick story that emphasizes what you just said. When you were running in 1987, your campaign invited me to join you in Miami, Florida, to, to get to uh, watch your campaign. I was the only reporter uh, with you at that point. You went into the office of the congressman in Miami at that point. I don't remember who it was, but... When you got to his office, you immediately went into a private office. I asked if I could watch what you were doing, and I was allowed to, and you got on the phone to raise money for your campaign. And I've said ever since then, it does not matter if you are running for mayor of a city, for district attorney, or president of the United States, dialing for dollars, although done differently today, is Every is so important to a campaign. I've never forgotten uh, that uh, uh, a moment in watching you. Yeah, and if you think it was bad then, you ought to talk to members of Congress today. They spend about 80% of their time calling for dollars. It, it's, it's just it's ridiculous. It, it, it can't go on and, and have a healthy democracy. So we get, that's another issue that has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with very quickly. Um. Talking about having a healthy democracy is as good a way as I can think of to uh, end our conversation, because I know that's what both of our guests today, Senator Gary Hart, uh, former Congressman Richard Gephardt, and former Senator Gary Hart, are working on with their organization, Keep Our Republic. I'm very grateful to both of you for taking the time to be with me. As I said earlier, it really is a pleasure to get to talk to you again after all of these years. I, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck in 2021, and, uh, and may your work at Keep Our Republic uh, keep going forward. We certainly on Political Rewind are always talking about respectful uh, conversations, respect between people of different opinions, and I'm glad that we know that you're out there working for it, too. So thank you both very much for joining me for the show today. Thank you, Bill. And let's salute you for being a great journalist all this time. We need a great <laughs> journalistic community to keep this democracy healthy. Well, that's very kind of you, uh, Congressman. That's it for us today. We're back with another Political Rewind tomorrow. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and congratulations to the 4.5 million of you who voted in the 2020, what, 2021 runoff election. See you all tomorrow.